0: Welcome and thank you for tuning into Tenetalk. This episode was gathered from Fleet Management as a Strategic Advantage, the Opportunity of Operational Intelligence, webinar organized by FMI and Tenet.
1: Hi everyone, this is Christy Huddy from FMI and thank you for joining us on our webinar today, Fleet Management as a Strategic Advantage, the Opportunity of Operational Intelligence.
0: Hey, thanks a lot, Christy. Thanks everyone for joining us for this webinar here. Um, if you're not familiar with FMI, uh, just uh, quickly to let you know, FMI is a management consulting and investment banking firm that uh, strictly focuses in the built environment and has been doing so for the last seven decades. So we're happy to have you in the webinar here with us. Uh, I'm also uh, very pleased to have uh, my, my real esteemed and close colleague, Mike Clancy, and uh, and, and good friend, uh, Austin Conti from the industry uh i'm jay snyder i lead fmi's technology practice which means that i help technology firms understand the market and i help uh, construction companies better leverage technology in their business to put it simply but that being said um we're here to chat a bit about uh fleet management uh and really the operational intelligence that you can derive from that as a strategic uh, advantage so uh i want to ask mike to spend a couple of minutes uh uh, sharing with you what Mike does at FMI and, and sort of his point of view here. And then, uh, awesome if you can follow Mike's lead and, and do the same, I'd appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Jay. Uh, Mike Clancy. I'm a principal with FMI. Uh, most of my work is, in, in the contractor space is with uh, large infrastructure and heavy civil firms. Uh, and we're really looking at uh, how we take their strategy and, and put it into operation. Uh, and so a, a big part of that is looking at the fleet assets, looking at the uh, the, the craft labor in the field, um, looking at the use of materials and making sure that we're doing all that as efficiently and effectively as possible. Um, I come at this from a bit of a cost background in the industry. Uh, I spent about half of my time as an estimator. Uh, and so my focus is really on having detailed, n- knowledge and data of the cost it, it, it takes to do business in the construction industry. And so uh, really excited to have uh, Austin on the line with us today because uh, um, Tenet gives us a lot of uh, data and intelligence that we wouldn't otherwise uh, have easy access to. Thanks,
0: Mike. Austin?
1: Great. Uh, thanks, Mike and Jay, and good afternoon, everybody out there on the call. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you all today. I'm Austin Conti. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Tenna, and uh, Tenna is a construction technology platform focused on equipment fleet operations, so tracking and managing everything from small tools to heavy equipment and trucks, and um, my background is actually in heavy civil construction. Uh, came from a company called the Conti Group, which is a, a family firm, uh, 100 years in business, and we've faced these problems ourselves, and uh, thought it was a good time to use technology to aid our own operations and how it can and spread throughout the industry. So uh, grateful to be part of it today and, and have a conversation with both of you. Uh, my background a little bit here from, it looks funny. I'm broadcasting from an RV on the road, uh, meeting a bunch of general supers in the field and uh, uh, getting out there.
0: Yeah, that's 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 funny. Austin uh, is actually for for you folks uh, attending. Austin is on a tour right now a tenant tour so you know maybe he'll be coming to a town near you so keep in touch with austin and you know perhaps you'll be able to get some time with him and and uh, uh e- even talk a bit equipment operations and maybe even see some of his check um i also want to thank both you guys uh you both uh, sent me some slides that we can refer back to through our discussion that's all it's always helpful i'm sure the audience is going to appreciate not just staring at three heads for the next hour and instead have something more interesting to look at but Uh, I'll I'll do my best to try to keep it interesting. Uh, Austin, what I want to do is um, we've talked quite a bit in the past, of course, uh, and we both come from industry, right? We've both been uh, operators, you know, in in construction companies. And, you know, I've heard you say before that uh, you feel like it's a big differentiator uh, for any technology company. But in this case, of course, for Tenna to have people on board on staff that have been project managers or have been uh, field superintendents or has been a part of uh, construction operations and construction businesses. Uh, so, uh, you know, when, you, when, when we think about, about that, because it is kind of unique in uh, technology companies to have that expertise uh, on, on staff, you know, what, what specific problems do you think this has helped you sort of solve?
1: Yeah, sure, no, that's a great question, Jay um i think the first problem that helps us solve is that you know when we talk about project executives and supers and foreman in the field we really understand that first of all everyone is really busy so when you're talking about technology uh it's meant to aid a process and not necessarily change the entire process of the, of the company so number one i think it's about the mindset that we have when designing and, and implementing tech to use it as a tool to make, you know, make more predictable days and make lives easier uh, versus a complete overhaul and change. So that's number one. Um, I guess the the other things that, you know, this really helps us solve is, you know, having the construction background, understanding the true pain points around equipment fleet, whether that's utilization, maintenance, logistics, kind of, you know, what's actually happening in the field and how do you get that data back, uh, both in the field and the office to make a meaningful decision. Uh, to you know, to gain more profit on your job. So, understanding when the data is needed, and then what's also too much information, has been really important in coming from the industry.
0: Well, so that being said, let me let me give you the podium here, and and allow you to uh, just talk a little bit about um, uh, about about Tena, about how it was born out of Conti, and a little bit of the history there.
1: Oh, great. Sure. Uh, yeah. So on this slide, again kind of comes out of the Conti group with a hundred years of what we call construction DNA. Uh, so, you know, uh, business is just designed for helping contractors with their equipment fleet and really engineering has been at our core. So the team is majority of software engineers, hardware engineers, uh, civil engineers on staff to take those use cases and, and build them for, uh, for the contractors. And last thing there is like, we really look to build long-term relationships when we work with and, Again, using technology as a tool over time uh, to really revolutionize their equipment fleet operations. So, uh, using that to help manage all assets uh, that you have in your fleet.
0: So, Mike, uh, what are you? What are your thoughts on you know when you when you're out in the market and you're working with clients uh, or you're learning more around you know let's say technology solutions that are being applied to operations and business problems. Uh, you know maybe it sounds a bit rhetorical to some people, but w- how important is it that technology companies have uh, lived in the shoes of builders, have been in operations or been a part of those those companies?
2: I think it's hugely important and that's and that's equally true of consultants frankly uh, the the you know when we see tech purchases or service engagements that kind of fail to deliver. It's almost always a failure in implementation, and that's almost always uh, at the field, craft, or shop level because there's just not a lot of tolerance at that level for tech speak or consultancies. Um, there's not a lot of interest, to Austin's point, in adding on a bunch of tasks that they don't see as necessary or beneficial, or that the benefits of them haven't, uh, the benefits of those processes haven't been uh clearly articulated and so service providers that understand the culture and the language uh, of the shop and the field and can speak credibly to how this solution is going to improve their operations day to day and improve their lives over the long haul uh, are really going to be a lot more effective in implementation and in driving change in the organization and so I, i don't i don't know how you could expect to be effective Uh, as a solution provider, without some background in the industry, some uh, ability to stand in the boots of the people that you're, uh, that you're trying to help and understand what they're, where they're coming from.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, obviously you guys know part of my job is to stay in tune with technologies in the industry and, you know, some some of the ones that perform well and don't perform well and fit and don't fit. And I think that there's a lot of um, very interesting technologies, very worthwhile technologies out there that have um, uh a deliverable that can improve outcomes for contractors but what i find sometimes is that the way that the workflow is inherent in their platform doesn't really match how we operate in our businesses right as contractors and and so there's a real disconnect there that to mike's point mike to, to your point uh it really will uh uh will will impede adoption right and, and it's certainly uh causes people to maybe uh have inefficiencies in the process because they're adjusting the company to the technology rather than the technology really being designed around best practice processes in the industry i've definitely definitely seen that for sure so you know we're, we're here talking about equipment management and one of the funny things you know when i think about equipment management um is is how people define it right how people define equipment uh that they would put under that umbrella um, so when the industry thinks about fleet management, they'll typically relate it to you know big yellow iron, right, or, or maybe a little sense to their trucks. Um, but you know, Austin, you know, I, I I recall you making the point in the past that you know it's it's much broader than that. And as you think about it, sure, it should be much broader than that. Um, but can you can you expand on that a little bit? Can you share with us how people should be thinking about defining uh, the equipment within an equipment management program?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so if we look at fleet management, especially, you know, telematics on trucks, it's you know, it's been around for a while, you know, uh, tracking trucks and, you know, getting the diagnostics on it. That's not necessarily new tech, but uh, everyone forgets about the lonely buckets that sit on the yard. You know, th- those go missing. It's it's the light towers. It's the attachments. It's the concrete saws. And when you look at, you know, at the end of a project, you know, is it the small tool budget that's being blown versus, you know, the the, the budget for heavy yellow iron? Uh, so when we look at equipment fleet you know we we define it as equipment fleet operations and again that means anything from the tools and inventory to the fleet vehicles to your d6 dozer to your 200 ton manitoc crane and it's important to consider everything in that because uh, there's a lot of missed time and logistics moves and bringing the right tools to the job at the right time and that usually again. You don't necessarily lose a crane, but if you can help a mobilization of maybe the boom section, that's an important thing. If you can make sure you have the right smaller tool or attachment there at the right time. These are all things that kind of add up over time that really can add more profit into the job. So we try to tackle the problem holistically versus just focusing on on one asset class, because every asset class has a certain types of savings and efficiency that can be gained from it. I
0: think that makes a lot of sense. I guess you know, Mike. You know, I, I'd love your thoughts as you're working with contractors. How much of them? How many of them are actually looking at it with that wider lens? Uh,
2: you know, I think Jay, we've got a, a a bunch of pretty sophisticated contractors in the industry that are looking at things with a wide lens, but they may be looking at them all through the same lens, and, and maybe looking at their. Uh, sort of uh, sub fleets, and 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 I love the way that Austin's got them broken down here. It's very similar to how I break them down when I'm talking with my clients. You know, you've got the the revenue generating fleet of your heavy equipment. Um, the way that we manage that, the way that we track it, the way that we drive utilization on that is going to be different uh than the way we do with our sort of you know tools and 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 inventory and you know that's going to include your things like your generators your vm boards your uh you know compressors all those kind of things that that hook up to a trailer or 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 get dragged out to the job site by something else and 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 then you've got you know kind of the enabling fleet in between that's going to be a mix of your uh you know trucking and transport and fuelers and and and, uh, maintenance vehicles um, and your, you know, pickup trucks for crew and, and management, and all of those need to be managed, but they all need to be managed a little bit differently because they have a different strategic value to the firm, right? The the the, the things that drive the revenue, your heavy equipment, or maybe even your what we call your strategic uh, fleet assets, which would be things uh, that, you, that that you that are required as a point of entry into uh, certain markets. Those things have to be really looked at from a how do we make the ownership of those make as much sense as possible. Um, the other assets are we're really looking at how do we make sure that the jobs have what they need without being overburdened by our processes and cost for those things. And so you've got to be able to manage all of these different fleet assets in very, um, it, you know, in a lot of rigor with a lot of uh, depth of thinking. Uh, But in subtly different ways, and you can kind of see on on this slide that that Austin provided that, you know, that's something that they're focused on in supporting their contractor clients is, is looking at the different ways that we manage the different elements of the fleet and making sure that we're spending the right time, energy, and effort in the right places.
1: As I, as
0: I look at this uh, piece in the end, though, this tools in I'm sorry, I'm broadcasting over here, so you know, to everybody, if I look over here, that's where my screen is. But if I look at this tools and inventory piece here, right? I mean, the question you, I, that comes to mind is, how small becomes too small to manage, you know? And and I'm, that's probably different for every company, but you know, I, I want to toss it out there, see if you know, you guys want to take a swing at that because uh, I, I think that it could be a very deep rabbit hole, right? I mean, it could, small powered equipment is one thing, you know, maybe there's a dollar value assigned to powered hand tools that you'd want to track as well, but, but how, how, how small is too small? You guys have thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no. So when we typically, you know, talk to different contractors, usually it's, you know, a $500 threshold. So, you know, you may go down to an asset of, of that, that size, but it also depends on your type of work. Uh, you know if you're doing your you're heavy civil contractor versus a mechanical you may have more have more emphasis on the small tool tracking than the, than the yellow iron. Uh so it re- really depends on again the type of work and not necessarily the value of the asset, but then all the associated costs and where that asset has to be and the cost of getting it there. Again a small uh small tool could be very important for a different type of project versus an excavator uh doing you know uh cut and fill work.
2: Yeah and Jay unlike um you know, unlike a, a piece of heavy equipment where we're really going to be focused on, you know, maximizing the utilization and making sure it's, it's, uh, doing effective work, uh, at all times with these small tools and, and, uh, and these, these smaller pieces of equipment, what we really want to make sure is that they're there when we need them and that they work when we need them. Right. And so, uh, a lot of my clients will, you know, they'll have a standard, uh, so this is a term you'll remember from the military standard T O and E for a a foreman's truck, right. And it'll have a certain amount (laughs) of tools and equipment that are standard on that. And that foreman is responsible for them. I've got one client that they've got a standard Connex that they send out to every job. That's got uh, a standard inventory of, of tools and, uh, and equipment to be used. And, and, and the idea is to, I, you know, is to, is to track the consumption and destruction of those and to track that, you know, they don't grow legs and walk off the job site as occasionally happens. But beyond that, um, it's really about making sure that those things are available where needed and they don't hang up the work um, by not having them there. That's the, real, that's the real cost associated with those. It's not the cost of replacing them. Uh, it's the cost of not being able to get work done and having people standing idly by uh, while we're waiting on getting uh, the rental house to bring out a, a new compressor, for example, or a new pump.
1: Yeah, and to build yeah, on that, I, I think it. sometimes uh, sometimes I think the the term tracking and management gets you know uh, they become the same. So uh, when they think about the technology, just where is that asset? But it's really really time for the industry to move beyond the tracking and a lot of what you know and and Mike's work when we've talked about it's again the true thinking of your equipment fleet and how do you manage it versus just you know a dot on the map of where it is. So. Um, no, know, we've put some thought on this concept, this tenant, um, you know, and basically tracking things on whiteboards to using different types of tools to put them together, whether that's a spreadsheet, and then maybe a fleet system. And we really think there should be a, you know, a whole approach to, again, tying everything together. So you can manage the assets better, the financials behind it, the logistics behind it. Uh, and that's where we kind of, we see, you know, the industry moving and and the types of tools, more importantly, types of processes they put in place to use these tools. Uh, but you know, Mike, I love to get your thoughts on this. I know this is something you're definitely uh, uh, passionate about. And you know, how to how to how to how do contractors look at it more as a management tool.
2: Yeah, I think you know where we started as an industry with using technology you're right was very focused on asset tracking right making sure we knew what we owned and where it was and and that was certainly an improvement on where we were before that uh which was you know we buy things because someone says we need one and we're not entirely sure that whether we do or not um so so tracking and and understanding what we owned and where it was was a big improvement, right? It was a step change, you know, in the in the industry. Well, well, now we're to the place where we can get a lot more useful data than just what do we own and where is it. We we can get data on how much it's used on that job site, how much it's moved around that job site, who's moving it around, uh, where we're using it, and why. Uh, how much time it's up versus down for repairs versus in the shop, and we can start to make management decisions with that data um, that we never could when all it was was just kind of an inventory control system. And so, you know, I, the 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 idea of having the 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 data that we can you know glean and analyze and then make good decisions from. I mean, I think that's going to be the next. Uh, step change in the industry is the firms that are able to use that and and use it in a predictive mode rather than a rearview mirror mode uh, are going to be much better positioned than folks that are still kind of, you know, what do we have and where is it?
0: Well, when it, when I look at the one platform concept, which I think is, uh, I, I mean, we would we would want that approach with with any technology and even across the tech stack for a for a, a, a client. Um, But you know, I'm sure that everyone you know listening in would agree that if they walk in their yard right now, they might have five or six or seven OEMs, right? And uh, and so, really, practically speaking, how does one platform really play out? You know, so you know, as I as I think through this, it seems aspirational, maybe a little bit. Um, And I know that we're closing the gap on that. But Austin, I mean, you know, you're you're in this every day, right? I'm sure that one of your goals is probably to uh, be manufacturer agnostic and, and discover and collect all the information you can and structure it and make it available for these insights but I mean practically speaking, how is that really working out in the industry when you have multiple oems
1: yeah no that's that's kind of the, the the battle question there right so uh, who you know who's going to share the data and how are you going to integrate the data uh, but I, you know I think the the OEMs, there's some great standards out there now. There's different ISO specs that publish, you know, what, what data can, can be pulled into a central system and then what data actually may belong with the OEMs. And, you know, it's good to get the fault codes maybe from a certain OEM or not. Um, but, you know, our goal as a system is, again, by consolidating and getting the right piece of information to build the report that matters is, again, that, that's the goal of the tech for us. So, for example, if you think about, integrating hours and location across a mixed fleet you're going to have some older units that are older than 2015 you're going to have your your brand new pieces and then you're going to have your you know your light towers and when you're when you're pre-planning for your job or you, you want to do a preventative maintenance schedule on everything you want to you don't want to actually do do pm on three different systems you want to do that on one potentially tied to your accounting platform or tied to your project management tool
0: so you know you know the old fmi moniker right uh you know uh, get work do work keep score it's kind of a tried and true fundamental you know kind of a model to think about with with construction firms you know with uh you and i are both military guys keep it simple it's the the, be- the best thing for us right yeah. but you know when when we're talking when we're talking about that you know the get work do work keep score um, you know, wh- where are the risks and opportunities for for fleet management um, as you as you think about this?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a great question, and, and you're right, Jets. I mean, we've been kicking around at FMI for years, and actually, when I started at FMI 12 years ago, we still occasionally said count the money instead of uh, uh, keep score. But but you know, the idea was really. Uh, understanding those those fundamental business activities, right? The get work side, which is everything we do in work acquisition, from business development and marketing and estimating and, and the whole sales cycle, uh, and, and even sort of managing the customer experience through uh, through operations, all that kind of tied into the get, the get work side. Um, and, and for me, where equipment really ties in here is having good, useful, uh, predictive historical data on the performance of the of the fleet assets that we're going to use on the project. So being able to trust that if we're going to put a piece of equipment out there and we're going to expect it to work, you know, 40 hours a week, that we're going to get 40 hours a, w- a week of work out of it. And, and so, you know, knowing what we're going to experience on the job site is kind of critical there. The whole, the do work thing, I mean, that is the biggest Point of failure and the biggest point of frustration when it comes to uh, the, the the challenges between fleet and operations, it's it's this piece of equipment breaks down all the time, right? Or this this piece of equipment's not reliable. And so we really you know need to assess and manage and be able to uh, to track, to manage and to improve on what we're experiencing as we're putting work in place in the field. And then keep score, we've got to be able to pull in really good detailed information about what it actually cost to run the job, right, and so all of this requires us to think about the, the cost categories we incur, the people, the materials, the equipment, um, and, and one of the things that I, I find when I talk to my contractor clients is if they had the same confidence in how accurate their, uh, their, Labor hours were as they do, in how accurate the equipment hours being reported are. Uh, they wouldn't be in the business, right? I mean, the, the, the level of the level of uh, confidence in the data that we're getting out of fleet is, is not there yet compared to the level of comfort with the the number of hours we're coding to certain cost codes from a labor standpoint. And so, so really being able to get better more trustworthy more useful information about utilization about hours worked about hours worked in different phases of the job different phase codes or different uh, geographic portions of the project all of those things are critically important in the future estimating cycle right because it's it it, you know the, the what we do in the field and how we experience what we do in the field and how we count and analyze that feeds right back into how we price the next job and so the better we can get at collecting useful data and analyzing it and and knowing and trusting that it's true, uh, the the more accurate our assessment of our future costs is going to be the next time we bid a job like that.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I was thinking, I, I was sort of uh, hanging on something that you said uh, at the beginning uh, there, and that was around, you know, essentially alluding to the fact that this really can have a cascading effect on projects that follow right uh if you have let's say you know equipment failure or you lose uh accountability of a piece of equipment on one project that's that's you know destined for another project you know following that you know that it just has this ripple effect of inefficiencies and really headaches you know and in some cases delays so uh you know there's all of that at the tactical level as as well that i think we need to keep in mind um right. expanding on mike's comments what what else would you add to mike's comments
1: yeah, no, I think the thing that stuck out the most to me was, you know, trusting, you can't trust the data you get on equipment as much as labor. And there's really, there's not, there's no reason for that. You know, with, with technology today, one of the easiest things to get is automa- automated hours. So when you think about hours reported worked on a machine versus hours the machine actually ran, that's where technology is completely, you know, there, there's, no, there's no need to manually enter that anymore. And if you don't have to go have the field engineer go out and collect the hours from all the machines, how much more time did you just gain for pre-planning? You know, so those are kind of the mundane tasks that you don't, that technology really should aid in. Um, I guess the other, other main thing you spoke on Mike was the utilization. And I think, you know uh, through the different collateral the FMI is put out and reports out there and from our studies, that's really the key term. You know, how much is, how, how much are your assets being utilized versus the repair and maintenance cost into it? And again, you can get very powerful data from understanding runtime and idle time right from a device that you normally have to report. And, you know, more we can take away from having to input and key in different things, again, freeze up that time for more predictability and planning for the jobs. You
0: know, we're doing a lot of uh, talking here around, you know, expenditures, right? The cost side of the equation, for sure. Um, And and as you think about Capital expenditure versus versus you know OpEx, you know the there's always that debate on on uh, buy versus rent versus lease and where's the happy spot and it probably depends on a bunch of things as we know, um, you know Austin what are you, what are your thoughts on that as 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 someone in the business and again as someone that's trying to solve some of these problems from the tech side, you know when contractors are trying to wrestle with the the buy versus the rent versus the lease model i mean what What are some insights you can share there how, how can you help them deal with that
1: yeah sure and i think the concept goes if, if you're leading any initiative if that's you know an operational initiative or a big change you need to have your fingerprints on the data as quick as possible to be able to make the decision you know that's what it kind of comes down to in my mind is i can't make a good call if i don't know what the information is and as far as you know rent versus buy versus lease, that goes back to my earlier point on the utilization. So we can actually pull a report that has all your jobs and we understand when the asset has entered the job. And then we built an algorithm to know runtime on the project by category of asset. So again, if a pickup truck's going in and out, you may have a different uh, you know, a different utilization uh, threshold for that than again, your, your excavator on the project. But understanding utilization by job, when you go look, you know look back on that a month later and you say should we rent this piece you know or should we sell it you know it only ran you know a couple of hours so either we should have moved it off the project uh or we need to do something with it and that's hard because you know I, you know i've had experience as a superintendent and you you know you do want to keep that piece there just in case that work comes up and it's sometimes hard to give it up and that, that's just the nature of what it is but uh, the mo- the more you can Minimize hoarding and share the information. The better you're going to make and use the capital, invest into your assets, and that's that's a little bit of a mind shift. But uh, you know, if you can free that up, then that that's very powerful for companies.
2: Well, Austin, that requires that that the guys in the field trust the the data that's. That's supporting the decision to move that piece of equipment off their job onto someone else's job, yeah. right? That they trust that it's going to go to someone else's job and come back in a week and a half when they need it instead of, instead yeah. of holding onto it. You know, it's, it's, I, one of the really, uh, great things about this is I get to talk to so many smarter folks than I am in, uh, in the industry and, uh, Really, kind of stand on the shoulders of of giants in a lot of in a lot of respects, and and had a chance to sit down with uh, Dr. Mike Vorster, who a lot of the folks on the webinar will know um, from either his work at Virginia Tech or his consulting work with CEMP, um, or or even his book on construction equipment economics, and and we talked about the the real issue and challenge today is getting people out of the mode of equipment ownership to the idea of equipment access, right? And really thinking about the fleet as, as more of a, how do we access the, the fleet assets that we need to put the work into place? And some of that, sure, we're going to want to own, but but probably a lot less than we do, right? And probably a lot less than we think we want to own. Um, and, and and having some real analysis about that, I mean, it's something we'll talk about a little bit more here in a minute, but um, just Understanding that we don't, we no longer have to own everything uh, in order to be effective, right? There's a lot of other options to get access to the fleet, uh, and, and it's really shifting the mindset to that. How are we going to make sure that our jobs have the equipment they need, um, and that doesn't necessarily mean running out and buying another piece?
0: You know, I just want to say for the record, I am a past Hokey, and it's uh, something I'm very proud of. So it's awesome <laughs> to see you mention Virginia Tech. <laughs> um you know as i think about what you're saying though mike uh, i mean in in austin you know it's surely there there is more opportunity to think about you know less of the ownership model more of the uh, of the of the borrowing model if you will um and i was t- it's funny uh, that that you bring this up because i met i was just having a conversation a week or two ago with a a, a client and they were talking about the fact that um they were specialty contractor and they were talking about how They've actually had projects where there's multiple specialty contractors on the, on the state at the same time, renting from the same rental agency. And the, the rental agency comes to, to grab the piece of equipment to pull it off rent. And they, and they grab the wrong one and they grab someone else's, you know, uh, man lift, right? Or, or, uh, or, or SkyTrack or something. And then they have to go chase it down or call the rental company back and get it returned. And oh my gosh, what a, what a headache. So, I mean, you know, I think as we go towards that model, which makes a lot more financial sense for the company, I think the idea of things like tracking us awesome, and like you mentioned before become even more important uh, when you really don't own the asset, right? When you don't really have total control over that asset. So it's a it's just kind of an interesting point, and, and maybe it also kind of leads to you know another another topic I wanted to make sure we we talk about here, and that is um, really around risk uh, around risk management. You know, being a being a risk laden industry. Essentially, I think that maybe more so than than uh builders and project managers are probably more so risk managers than anything else uh, in this industry um, where does it rear its ugly head in 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 the biggest way when we're talking about things like fleet management and fleet operations
2: well you know we we um we look at the risk of, of the fleet or the risk that you need to manage in your fleet uh as really uh between two different elements here right the first is you know, this idea of risk on capital deployed. And so uh, companies in our database um, have about 30 percent plus or minus of, uh, you know, the, the equipment intensive contractor database have about 30 uh, percent in net fixed assets. Um, they've got their, um, their business is chock full of these assets that if they're not uh, being used as effectively as possible, we ought to divest of them, right? We ought to fix our capitalization structure. Uh, I was talking to somebody recently and they said, uh, you know, Mike, when's the best time to go through my fleet with kind of a fine tooth comb and make sure I only own what I need to own. And I said, you know, the, the best time was 18 months ago. The second best time is now, right? Because we're in a, we're headed into, and we're in the teeth of a, Uh, a market that's going to be especially challenging. And so, you know, what we don't wanna be is overly capitalized in certain types of assets that don't create flexibility for us, right? This is Mm -hmm. the big risk in having a lot of money tied up in fixed assets is you don't, um, if the market changes, you have a hard time changing with it, right? If the kind of work you're doing changes um, and it requires different equipment than what you own or a different mix of your fleet, um, there's a lot of selling into a down market that you have to do uh, that, that's really unpleasant and really distasteful. And so, so the risk on capital deployed, is a, it's a risk that needs to be managed strategically and kind of at the office level, but equally important is the risk to operations. You know, th- th- this is the one that is felt most keenly at the project level, right? This piece of equipment breaks down and now I've got you know, four or six people standing around waiting for it to get back up. Uh, I was talking with a client that said, You know our concrete pavers we're always hearing about our concrete pavers. Uh, you know they they break down, and all of a sudden, we' got a paving crew sitting around with nothing to do right And so um, this is again, this is a concept that uh, we borrowed with uh, uh, with his his generous support from uh, Dr. Forster around thinking about our maintenance uh, spend and the and the maintenance tickets that we generate on a piece of equipment differently, right? Thinking about them as the preventative maintenance, the things that that are part and parcel of kind of the owning of that piece of equipment and operating it over time, Um, but then separating out the repairs into this sort of condition-based maintenance, so identifying problems before they occur and fixing them, right? As part of of the daily inspection by the operator, or maybe during a PM, we notice an issue and we fix it before it breaks. Um, And then the last one, this is that repair during a as mike put it a red event or a reported emergency down event this is the piece of equipment breaks down unexpectedly while we're using it this is a hugely expensive impact operations not just from the cost of the repair not just from the cost of the people standing around but think if you've got a tight schedule and now you've got to figure out how to mitigate that uh, you may have some client issues that occur because they see the equipment broken down and Work not being put in place, so there's a lot of there's a lot of explicit and implicit costs alongside that risk that uh, that we've got to manage, we've got to track, and we've got to minimize as much as possible by using the kind of predictive data analytics that that we get from a, a platform like Tena to to sort of you know help us identify what our trends are and, and manage before we get to them.
0: yeah you know, Austin, you provided a pretty good cost slide. I want to switch to right here. um if you can walk us through this some of some of the thoughts uh you know when you put this together, I think uh you know everyone would be better for it
1: yeah, sure um so you know technology is powerful and great, but how does it hit the bottom line is you know the first question um uh, and you know at tenna we we broke down equipment fleet off ops cost savings into six major buckets. Uh, The first being breakdowns and repairs, and Mikey just touched on that, but if if you can eliminate one emergency repair and the cost of a mechanic to go out to fix that, it's a minimum $30,000. Two, I usually get some chuckles with, but hoarding. So, how could could you actually put a price on hoarding? And if you can eliminate one excess rental of a piece for a project or excess rental for a couple months, minimum to $20,000. Unnecessary purchases. This can... It's hard to put a number on this, but this can, you know, span from small tools to a larger piece. So at least a hundred thousand dollars, you know, if you're on, if you're limiting a single larger piece or a, a bunch of smaller items, logistics. Uh, this can actually expand, but that one unnecessary equipment move that might have then left the paving crew, you know, without the piece. You know, that could that cost twenty thousand easily. Uh, idle time that that's very calculated based on you know the cost of fuel and how much you know your trucks are idling on projects. Uh, that can also scale to your equipment. And then accidents. Could you you know through monitoring your vehicles and putting together good driver safety programs, could you eliminate one safety accident per year? So I like to kind of think you break things down into eliminating one event. Uh, obviously, there's 20, you know, 50 events happening every hour when you're on a job site. But, you know, at, at minimum, if it's not tennis technology or someone, you know, different technologies out there, I think there's a, a, at least, you know, within a year payback for these uh, and at least, you know, 200,000 plus in savings on, on single events. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a lot more studies to happen and, and that we're, we're going to be doing on, on the actual savings of this tech, of this tech.
0: You know, as you're talking, uh, and I'm thinking about, you know, kind of the growing emergence of robotics or, uh, or automated equipment that we now see on, on sites. And, you know, Mike, if I think about your avoiding your, uh, what did you call it? Your, uh, your red event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's always been a thought of mine that as, as robotics proliferates more in the industry that, uh red events become an even bigger problem because of the expertise needed to handle the robotics side of the automated automation side of that equipment so you know as i I think as uh, technology continues to grow uh further in robotics and in automated equipment you know this becomes ever more important um um as as, as we proceed here And, and one other sidebar uh when you talk about concrete pavers, you have to warn me. I've got a nightmarish story about a concrete Allen paver delivered to me on a Russian Antonov in the Middle East that I'll we need to have a whiskey to talk about that. But um that sounds but we'll, do that, we'll do that soon. Um so okay, so let let me let, let me do this then. Um we we I, I wanna switch gears a little bit here, um and, and take the podium to talk about you know, when you adopt a technology for something like uh, optimizing or enabling better fleet management and fleet operations. And some folks that may have been around me in the past that may be in the audience probably have heard this from me many times. Um, I'll, I'll continue to just to say it as, as much as people will listen. But, you know, the idea that, you know, your technology, the, the, the success of the technology in the business is, is really predicated on how well you're listening to the needs of the people in the field how well you understand the problem which is going to be best articulated by the people in the field uh and then how how well you include them in whatever the course of action is going to be whether it's uh ripping replacing a, a technology platform to help you manage it or if it's procedural or process related that it's really really important to make sure that you're getting that what we're you know uh what we repeat as you know wisdom of the hive right um learn from the hive get that bottom-up feedback for that top-down sort of uh, guidance and execution i think is uh is something that i can't uh th- th- there's no way that i can uh, uh overstate that um so because even the best technologies layered on top of the right processes uh comes down to change management you know rolling out new technology is disruptive and it's a change management exercise that can sometimes last 18 or 24 months if uh if it's not done right or if it's a major uh, you know, major major initiative. You know, Austin, on your side, you know, be, because uh, again, you're kind of best postured, straddling sort of both sides of this of this world. You know, what are your thoughts on you know, sort of the importance and of implementation or success that you've seen around rolling out technology to support fleet management?
1: Yeah, sure. You um, know, obviously, there needs to be some champion and, and buy-in. Uh, to, you know, commitment to go through, you know, a change process. But as I said, beginning, the purpose of the technology is to aid the work. So uh, I think the key theme you, you touched on, Jay, is, is merging, you know, what getting that information from the field and it flowing also to the office. So, uh, you know, when we go out and, and look to deploy, it's it's not just, okay, go and slap some trackers on things. It's, it's talking to the super, it's talking to the foreman. What information are you trying to get that's important? And uh, how is that going to impact, you know, your business? How it's going to, how's it going to want to impact your operations decisions, but then how are those ops decisions going to impact the financial bottom line of that project. And then, and then your, you know, your company's P so, um, and L. So, you know, directly answer your question. I think it's just, you know, it's taking the time to think through the different roles and how everybody's going to be using that technology, whether that's the input of a, of a different maintenance request or if that's viewing a report at the right time it doesn't have to be data overload it just has to be that that information has to be at the fingertips at the right time to make the right call uh, and that's you know that's what we look to do for the implementation i think the other piece of it is that it's always kind of ongoing so if you're inputting any technology not not just saying tena you know the constant training the, the feedback to those different companies to improve the processes to Tweak. You know, I always say within our our own firm, the nuances are incredibly important. So, you know, you can get some that report 90% right, but you want it 100%. And that's that last 10% of a nuance that's going to make or break the adoption. So, uh, I think it's just taking a detailed approach, and like you know, all contractors just keep on working at it, and then it gets done. So, that's uh, that's kind of yeah, you know.
0: It's well taken, the fact that, you know, a, a small improvement um, just by a little bit of focus can, can yield a big result. I mean, in in a market that's as hyper-competitive um, a, a, as the construction industry, you know, that that sort of saying can be applied to many parts of the business, right? A very small improvement yields a very big result. So, I mean, I think that's kind of I think that's pretty wise words there. But, you know, the technology, diligence, and prudence aside, you know, let's kind of really ask i guess probably the big you know the big question you know out there the elephant in the room and that is you know why aren't more companies um really doing more to effectively manage the fleet to effectively improve fleet fleet operations and and, you know that assumes that people that that all people aren't well we can always get better right there's really no end state here but why aren't why do you think more folks aren't doing more um strategically and really tactically to to manage these assets better
2: Sure, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, I think first we just, you know, kind of talk a little bit about what best in class looks like. And I, and I would say, you know, the practices and the principles of fleet management and, and what best in class looks like are really evergreen, right? They, they, they haven't changed all that much. It's, it's keep the equipment working, right? Make sure it's not breaking down. Uh, make sure it's highly utilized. Make sure we know what it costs us to run that equipment. Um, and then you know make sure that we've got a good sort of portfolio approach to managing the age of the fleet, right those are those are the basic requirements of a best-in class equipment function and and they haven't really changed. What has changed is how complicated the world has gotten around the equipment function and around the fleet and what that what that fleet manager now has to do right for For most of the industry, for most of our recent history, the fleet manager has has come from the maintenance space, right? They've been they've been someone who worked on the equipment, uh, was really great at working on the equipment, was a good leader among their peers working on the equipment, and 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 like they like equipment, they you know they enjoy working on equipment. And they get moved up into that role of of fleet manager, which now has become a really challenging strategic role, right? And so, you know, some of the barriers are you know, maybe they're not in the room when the the, the decisions are being made and when the important strategic conversations are being had. And this is something that I I press on the CEOs I talk to is, is look, if if you have a fleet, that fleet manager needs to be the kind of strategic thinker that you want in the room, right? That's going to hear, hey, we're going after this segment or this geography and is immediately going to think, how do I support operations in doing that, right? How do I how do I act as an enabler to our operations folks to to be really effective there? Um, And so if they're not in the room, if they're not even invited into those conversations, that's going to be a problem. Um, You know, the other thing is, is there's uh, very often a a focus on the area of comfort, right? So because a lot of them came up through a maintenance role, they've got a really strong focus on the metal of the equipment and on the mechanics, right? The metal and the mechanics are really focused there. And they're not so focused on the market right that which is the whole what's the what's the market doing what are the implications for the types of work our company will be pursuing and what are the implications for the things that i need to get rid of and bring into the fleet to to make sure that we're ahead of that instead of being reactive and 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 sort of last minute to it and that's and that's a challenge that a lot of folks run into right you particularly in tough times like right now, we we tend to retreat to a place of comfort. And if you came up through the maintenance role and you came up working with mechanics, that's where you're going to want to spend more of your time. And it's really where you you can't afford to be bogged down right now. And then the last thing, and I'm sure Austin has a, a really uh, a lot of thought on this as well, is there's just too much data in too many different places saying too many often conflicting things to make good decisions. And so, you know, data isn't, I had a, one of our colleagues, uh, Jay Bowman, tell me once that data isn't important, right? D- data is only important in in as much as you can, through analysis, turn it into actionable information. Um, and, and right now, we're just covered in data. And, and how we pick through that and glean what we need to from that that's going to drive, uh, you know, the firms that can do that well, that's going to drive their future success.
1: I I really agree with that. And going back to your point on the equipment manager real quick and being strategic, I think it's something to, to stay on for a bit. You've kind of seen this over time and similar with the CIO, for example, you know, IT at a construction company might just be setting up the computer, setting up the job trailer. And then, you know, the role of the cio really grow grew especially as you know tech's evolving more in our industry but just in general as very strategic to the company's initiatives and i really envision that happening uh, It's it's there for equipment management but I, I view that that how you manage the equipment fleet and the person that's responsible for that as strategic as your cio and uh, again and then working with the technology departments to get to get the best in class the information for decisions but um now, I think that's just a really important point you made on, again, the people that are going to be using, you know, uh, putting the process in place and using the tech and how that role is just vital. Yeah.
0: But but across departments, though, right, across departments, there's like competing interests, right? You know, everyone's sort of you know trying to compete for different things or get different uh, to get something different out of out of fleet or just a different attention from the company in general you know um so when when we talk about kind of the competing interests of the different departments
2: you know mike what 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 do you see as some of those friction points when you're out there well you know everything costs way too much to the operations guys when they rent <laughs> it from our internal fleet right i could i could rent Doesn't it, it you though? Know, no i could <laughs> cherry i could cherry pick this one type of asset and rent it for 45 cents a week cheaper from a rental house and therefore uh, our fleet folks don't know what they're doing, right? So, so there's a lot of there there's a lot of pressure on our project managers and our superintendents to uh, to turn in profitable work as there should be, right? Uh, and and that creates some friction between fleet and operations when operations look, particularly when we've done a really poor job of thinking through utilization and and what it actually costs us to run the equipment and 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 our equipment rental our internal rental rates are just wildly out of whack and i've seen that happen and and, and that's got to be addressed right because when you've got some rates that are wildly out of whack what that does is creates distrust across all the rates right uh and so and so that's that's part of it part of it is just the whole uh, this issue, is, as Austin mentioned earlier, of hoarding—you know—I don't trust that if I send this piece of equipment to this other job site, that I'm going to get it back when I need it. And so we're going to end up owning two things that are used 50% of the time instead of one thing that's used 100. That sort of thing goes on a, a bunch as well. Um, you know, those those internal frictions and competing interests. What usually happens is the loudest voice wins, and in most instances and in most organizations. All those loudest voices are in the operations wing of the of the building, right? I came up through the estimating department. Very few loud voices in estimating that uh, that would hold their that would hold their own with those folks, and so, um, which is okay, right? Because the operations folks are the ones that put the work in place, generate the revenue for the company, and ultimately they drive the profitability of the company. Um, but if they run roughshod over fleet, over you know estimating. Um, we run into some real challenges in 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 having, you know, honest information flow and in making the right kind of decisions as a management team.
0: Yeah, Austin, anything to add there?
1: Yeah, no, I think you know, uh, there's always going to be cross, you know, department friction, and hopefully this is where the data can give a lot of truth. And I think it's important in, in any programs to have as many users adopt as possible. So that goes from your operations leads, you know, your form in the field to your estimating, but to, again, to remove friction, you need to have, again, the right information at the right time. I know sound like a broken record here, but transparent data allows that.
0: Yeah. You know, Mike, you had mentioned, you had made a comparison to uh, equipment costs versus how we manage like labor costs. And, um, and, and that sort of thing. I think it was an interesting point. Um, you know, in Austin, we've talked before about how um, uh, there's, there, it, it, it appears that equipment costs just are, are, are not as closely monitored as labor costs. And what, what do you think is driving that? Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I think it's one uh, the perception of the company of viewing, you know, the asset as, again, it's paid for. So do we have to be tracking it down to that dollar value? Um, again, it's a, just one more thing to record. It's just another piece. And to the point on labor, it may not be seem as important at that time. Uh, and unfortunately, I think it's kind of your, your aspirin versus vitamin approach. So you want to record things as soon as, you know, you have a headache, uh, and take the aspirin, but, you know, to Mike, the you said it should have been 18 months ago, take the vitamin for, uh, getting ahead on the processes for the business. It's just, uh, it's one more thing to do. And, and with all the things on everyone's plate. Uh, how do you how do you create create that priority? Uh, and that's where different tools can can help
2: yeah i'd 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 add to that that equipment is just cool, right? I mean, you go out to con Expo and you walk around and you see the things that are coming out. it's just cool, and I just want to own that amazing stuff, right and, and 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 there is a there is a certain part of it that's there's a certain part of uh, sort of the 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 lizard brain of the contractor that says if I'm gonna be, in this business, I've got to own this stuff, right? And and I've got to own this stuff and it doesn't really matter what it costs me to run this stuff or to own this stuff because that's part of being in the business. And And I don't disagree with that concept, but I think it needs to move out of the lizard brain and into the intentional decision brain that says, what's the right stuff to own? What's the right amount of that stuff to own? And 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 what's a bunch of stuff that we don't have to own that will create capital flexibility? And so, I think that we've not historically monitored equipment costs as well as labor costs because it's not it it hasn't been as easy until kind of current time to do that, right? Even today, a lot of folks I talk to are 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 struggling with that um, because they're trying to use various manufacturers, uh, you know, internal products or what have you. And then you know, and then part of it is just we don't recognize that we could be better, that we could do a better job of, of, of tracking and managing that than, than we're currently doing. And so, and we don't really recognize why it's important. We underestimate how much this stuff is costing us. And I think Austin did a great job of pointing out earlier in the conversation, just how much, you know, sort of poor fleet management uh, practices can cost you uh, in one incident uh, in each of those types over the year. So, I mean, I think that would you know, that kind of leads me to a question for Austin, which is, you know, as you look at folks that you're talking to that, that aren't tenant clients that, that you're, you're meeting out in the marketplace, where do you see sort of common inefficiencies and how they manage uh, their fleets and, and, and how would you kind of help them address those areas?
1: Yeah. So for. It's, it's kind of you don't know what you what you don't have a, a little bit with this, because typically when we talk to a customer uh, that hasn't put a, a system in, sometimes the most challenging thing is just to get an asset list. Right. So just to it's a challenge just to know what you have uh, one, because that can be in a lot of different databases. And how could you get to almost getting to the right size fleet? Or even if you want to own everything, it's still good to have a digital inventory of what you have, you know, because there, there could be some. You know, that's also an asset so depending on your strategy whether it's right side fleet or or more asset ownership you still want to have tools in place to have that data at your fingertips to you know have the luxury to make the call um and you know what we've tried to do is also get to get that data use a bunch of different technology depending on the size and value of the asset so you don't need to over invest in uh, tracking a concrete saw with a complex cellular tracker that can read hours down to the second and give you fault codes you know <laughs> just you need to know its location and then if the foreman has it uh, your trucks for example you may want to you know actually get more of the driver safety behavior and put a program in place that can maybe give insurance benefits uh, for the mid sized assets you might want to know upon movement or break of a one that left that job so I think you know for customers that haven't implemented technology, like Tana, it's really, again, goes back to what I think is the FMI's practice on technology. What's the goal that you're trying to achieve? Apply the right tech to fit that goal, and then that can aid the process over time. And uh, we've tried to be very flexible and, and custom because contractors are similar, but they all have the nuances, that I, as I talked uh, earlier about, and then making those nuances work together for their, for their ops is, is what's important.
0: Austin, you're getting a shout out here in the uh chat questions oh. uh, questions box so that's, uh you know you're you're resonating okay. with folks pretty good responses everyone thanking you guys for your time i I want to do the same thanks guys it's been fun i I like these more sort of coffee talk uh, webinars much more than I like formal presentations yeah. so uh so I just want to say thank thanks for your time and and, and for doing this and I want to thank everyone that attended in the audience for also um giving us your time and attention it's uh, it's a worthwhile conversation. Hopefully, what we've talked about today allows you to move the needle in your company, uh, all things related to uh, fleet management and operations. Thanks Great. again,
1: guys. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.